this morning, I hope that the text really annoys you. Because I, I would like to share that pain. Because it has been convicting and annoying and hard at times. A text that is so familiar, but then as you dig into it, as you study it, it just like hits you and hits you and hits you. Okay, so are you loving in this way? Are you caring in this way? Do you have the mind of Christ in this way? This morning we want to talk about how, how do we love, how do we do good to our enemies, to those that we are frustrated with, to those that have hurt us. Last week... Well, while many of us or some of us were away at the orphanage serving, but many of you were here worshiping. Last week, we had yet another shooting in a church in, in Sutherland Springs in Texas. And this morning, that church is meeting for the first time together and trying to figure out how do we go on? Does this become a, a situation of bitterness and hate? Or does God have a different path for us, a different way to take? Just over two years ago, there was a, a shooting in Charleston, South Carolina. And I wanted to to open by reading an article from USA Today, interestingly enough, about those victims and their response. And John Dickerson writes on June 22nd, Did you see the families of the shooting victims in Charleston, South Carolina, confront the accused killer at his bond hearing Friday? Did you see the video, them pleading with Dylan Roof through tears? They said they forgave him. The very soul who days earlier, police said, held the weight of the gun, pulled the trigger, and then continued from one person to another and another and another until nine lay dead on the seats on the floor of the Christian house of worship. Did you see? One after another, the relatives of the slain begging Ruth to turn to God. One after another, they prayed for his soul. One after another, they forgave him. I'm emotional because I don't even know if I could do this. I don't know how they did that. Well, I do know how. It was by the grace and the power of God. Dickerson goes on to write, It was neither expected nor explicable, that forgiveness. Such forgiveness is unseen in an animal world, is illogical in a rational world. It is nonsensical to common human nature. Such forgiveness is humanity at its most human or perhaps its most divine. In a world where evil can seem unstoppable, these families from Charleston have demonstrated that there is still hope. Hope not only in the good fight against racism, prejudice, and evil, but also hope in the good that overwhelms evil. Good sometimes overcomes evil via counterintuitive forces, compassion, Mercy, forgiveness. Last August, the author said, I listened to a recorded phone call with a pastor in Iraq. Islamic State terrorists had encircled his city and he expected that they would soon be headed to his church to enforce their own murderous hatred upon him and his church members. Through tears, the Iraqi Christian prayed these words to his God. ISIS doesn't know what they are doing, so please forgive them. His words and the words of so many from Emmanuel AME echo another famous forgiveness. And this is the author of of this article in USA Today. 2,000 years ago, a man uttered these words even as he was being crucified. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
I would have loved to see the faces as people reading USA Today read that article. Because we, we come to this and it makes no sense. How can we forgive? How can we have this kind of love? And really, why would God even call us to have this kind of love? Isn't He a God of justice? Of righteousness? Of wrath at times? But He's also a God of love and mercy and grace. And He calls us to, to be so countercultural in this world. As, as Pastor AJ last week shared, Jesus is sharing these upside-down principles that go contrary to everything we would normally think. When we look at situations like this, we think, where will there be justice? How do we get revenge? When will this person pay? And Jesus says, no, I want you to think differently. How will you love them? How will you pray for them? How will you bless them? Because of who God is and who Christ is and that He has these situations under control, He frees us to simply be His hands and love and to have mercy and to share who He is. It is truly upside down and shocking in this Genesis 3 world. Today, if you turn with me to Luke chapter 6, we come to Jesus confronting these very things and 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 demanding a very different definition of love. And as we look at the Sermon on the Plain and, and, and in Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, we see Jesus completely turning the world's attitudes on, on its head and turning it upside down, taking everything that they focused on, that, that their culture focused on, and turning it around. And lest we start to think, well, okay, that was great for Bible time Pharisees, This speaks to us today just as loudly because our culture is messed up and upside down from what God intended. And so Jesus had the nerve to say things like our focus should be on our heart and our attitudes rather just on our external actions. He keeps pounding in that we should love and put others as more significant than ourselves, that it's not about me. And in today's text, he comes to his law of love and turns that upside down. See, one of the, the statements of the time is love your neighbor as yourself, right? Even on our, on our breezeway, we have love others. And for them, they would sometimes add the phrase and hate your enemies. Because, hey, it was noble to hate your enemies. It was noble to hate the Romans that had just come into your house and, and taken your sister or had, had taken your money or whatever they had taken. It was normal to hate them, to demand revenge. You had whole sects that were, that were coming together, the zealots, to fight that. And we, they were in a culture that was an honor-based culture where revenge and retribution were values. You know, the Old Testament commands an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. That command, though, was for the judicial system, for how government was to enforce its law. And that had devolved into, well, hey, if it's good for government, it's good for me. You insult me, I'm going to insult you. You slap me, I'm going to slap you. In fact, you were more virtuous if you expanded that up to ten times. Well, imagine the cycle that that would start. So someone has a little offense on you. Maybe they they look at you wrong when you come into church on Sunday. Now, they may have just been thinking about something else, but hey, they looked at you wrong, and so they insulted you. And so you come back and you say something to them, and then they come back and start to start a whole group again. I mean, you can see how this devolves so fast. And that was the culture that Jesus was speaking to and is speaking to 
today. We just aren't that different. How many of you have seen the movie or read the book Count of Monte Cristo? Do you guys like that one? I love that book. Do you know why? He gets revenge. I started thinking through the TV shows I like. So many of them, the, uh, sort of an a unlikely hero comes along and helps someone that's been offended or someone that's been abused get revenge. We value revenge and retribution as well. And so this passage speaks to us in our heart today. We're going to be looking at just verses 27 through 36. A small passage in the time that we have. And, and if, we, if we have to think of the big picture, or we want to think of the big picture, I put it at the top of your notes, and this is your takeaway for the day. You're getting it at the beginning, so if you want to doze off, you can after that. We are to radically love and do good to others, regardless of what we will receive, how they treat us, or whether they deserve it. Imitating how God our Father loves and show mer- shows mercy to us. Let me read that again. We are to radically love and do good to others regardless of what we will receive, how they treat us, or whether they deserve it, imitating how God our Father loves and shows mercy to us. And really that's going to break down into two parts. The first half of the text is going to be Jesus instructing us how to love. How to love regardless of who the person is, regardless of their merit, regardless of what we gain. But what does radical love look like? And the second half is going to go to the motivation that you see there. We do it because we're imitating our Father and how He treated us. So point number one as we work through the text, and we're going to work through this pretty quickly. Jesus expands what it means to love others radically beyond our comfort zone. Jesus expands what it means to love others radically beyond our comfort zone. He is describing something very new and very different to them. And he starts in verse 27 and 28 just with four staccato instructions. These are, these are all imperatives or commands, all in the present tense, which implies a continuing, unrelenting action. So if you're thinking checklist with these, that's a fail. This is an ongoing action, not something we do once. Okay, I, I, loved, some, I loved an enemy today. Good, I'm done for a year. No, this is an ongoing action. But I say to you who hear, and, and then we get the, the four commands. First one, love your enemies. How many of you have heard this verse before? Almost every hand. Love your enemies. Don't let familiarity make this verse lose its power. Look at it fresh and new today. The word for love there is agape, and we're familiar with agape, but it means an unconditional love that is solely for the benefit of the other, another, solely for the good of another. And when the hearers heard this, they would have been like, I get the love part. But your enemies, that's not what we do. There are enemies. That's why they're called enemies, Jesus. Because we don't love them. Because they've offended us. Because they've hurt us. And I can just imagine some of the people that have been so tortured or um, persecuted by the Romans or by others hearing this. It would have been radical. But here's what's really radical about it. First part is who it's to. It's to everyone. He expands love your neighbor to say really any breathing human being, whether they've hurt you or not. But the second part is love, and this is the first time that love is used as a verb in the Gospel of Luke. 
and it's saying you're to do this. This is a proactive command to do good to others. And in fact, this phrase, if you, if you like to draw on your Bible or make notes about the Bible, don't just draw on it. But if, if you like to make those notes, this phrase, it really, if you look at this text, is the parent phrase to the whole text. The rest of this text describes what does it mean to love your enemies. But it means an action, not just a feeling. It's not just restraining from hostile acts. Well, I love my enemies because I didn't kill them today. I love the person across the, the room from me this morning because I didn't say anything bad about them yet today, but there's the potluck. No, no, that's not love. That's tolerance. That's restraint. Love says, what am I actively going to do for their good today? And so Jesus is expanding the view of who this is to, but he's also expanding what love is to say, okay, what have you done for the people you hate today? What have you done good for them, not evil? Oh, we could learn from that today. We let our emotions and we let petty squabbles and we let differences between us stop us from doing good for each other and stop us from relationship. That's not family. Now, I know we fight it in family. I have three kids. And we fight the squabbles and we fight that interfering with loving each other and and with, with coming together. But we constantly are on that because love doesn't take that into an account in a way of stopping relationships. You know, who for you would, would this passage... When you think of enemies, who is that for you? And don't write it down or anything because people might be sitting near you and see it. But, but who bothers you? Who do you avoid because maybe they've said something that has hurt you? Who do you, can you just hardly stand to be around? Because that's probably who this text is talking about for you. Then we start to meddle. Then Jesus starts to step on our toes. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a neighbor. I remember our neighbor across the street. When he first moved in, his thing was to have these really loud parties at three in the morning. When we had little kids who we were just breathing a sigh of relief because they finally fell asleep for 20 minutes. And some of you moms and dads know that stage of life. And I can remember walking out and, and walking down and, and to, to my shame, trying to walk house to house and figure out where the noise was coming from. Although that was pretty easy to get there, but some other neighbors. And pacing, what do I do? Okay, do I, do I call the police? Do I go yell at them? How do I stop this? Because it's inconveniencing us as a family. And that was the wrong attitude. That was the wrong approach. But that was someone for me, that this would apply to. How do I love my enemy? It's not just in war. It's not just in battle. But those that we're at odds with, at enmity with. He goes on and, and um, well, to finish that story, I guess, uh, we actually didn't do anything. And, and over time, we, we chose, as, as hard as it was, to not confront him on that, to not um, get upset at him. And we chose to befriend him. And start saying hi to him and go and talk to him when he's outside his house. And the parties and the late night stuff stopped within six months. I'm not saying it always happens that way. We were thankful and we praise God. 
And now, he, he, in fact, he's my guy on the, um, the transparent window, my stick figure that I'm praying for. Different heart, even though it was so annoying. Can't say it's always been that way, and it took me a while to get there, quite frankly, because it was frustrating. But love your enemies. The next phrase there, and, and, and we'll keep moving through these, the next phrase is, do good to those who hate you. And it's really a parallel phrase to love your enemies. It's expanding on it. But again, it's do good. And then in your notes, I put dot, 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 because the, then Jesus has to add to those who hate you. To those who are at odds with you, at enmity with you, that you can't trust what they'll say about you and what they'll do to you. And Jesus says, do good to them. Find ways to help them. Find ways to bridge that gap, even when they are still hating you, and even when they are still like that. It's unnatural. Natural would be, let's hate them back. I'll, I'll make them pay. But Jesus says, no, no, I have a different way. He goes on to say, bless those who curse you. And so we've, we've, the first one, the, the love your enemies is an unnatural heart. He's calling us to do good to those that hate you. He's calling us to unnatural deeds. And now bless those who curse you. He's calling us to unnatural words that can only be given us by the Spirit. And, and for someone to curse you, that would be someone that's calling down misfortune and evil on you. Someone that's actively out to get you. And Jesus says, don't, don't respond that way. And don't just ignore them. In fact, I want you to bless them with your words. To speak well of them. That person in your mind that just bothers you and bugs you, neighbor, coworker, even someone at church, in church family, that person that comes to mind, what this says is, don't you dare say anything negative about them. In fact, go around saying good things about them and to them. What? That's going too far. Well, no, it's not. This is how we love them. The word for bless there often is translated praise them. For me, that, that helped me understand it a little bit more because I don't go around giving blessings on anyone, really. Maybe at the end of a wedding to the couple, but it's not my, my normal way I speak. But when I think of praise is, okay, what about the person that just frustrates me? If I start going around and praising them, complimenting them, Hey, I saw so-and-so do this, and that was great. What, what is God doing through that? Number one, he may be creating a, a, an avenue of reconciliation, an atmosphere of reconciliation. But more than that, on all these things, he's changing my heart, not them. When I start to actively speak well of somebody, when I start to try to do good things for them, maybe I bake someone cookies or... or no, it's a good thing. So Susie bakes them cookies and we take them to them. Um, I start to change my heart. Actually, the Holy Spirit starts to change my heart to be more like Christ and have His heart for them. Unnatural heart, unnatural deeds, now unnatural words. Keep in mind, all of these things require a confident trust in God's care. I have to give up control to do these. Give up the right to protect myself. Give up the right to make someone pay. Give up the right to teach them a lesson that somebody's got to teach them. 
And by giving that up, I have to say God is able to do that. And he is. We know this in our heads. We know God is a better teacher than we are. We know he can take circumstances better than we can and turn them for his will. But man, our emotions get involved and we forget that and we lose our little minds. And we let those things control us. If we can't bless those that curse us, if we can't speak well of them and praise them, then that ultimately means we have a problem with our view of God. Because we're not willing to obey God to get our way. The fourth phrase there, pray for those who abuse you. The word for abuse is to mistreat, to threaten, to revile. And, and, and Jesus says, pray for them, not go out and punch them in the nose. Pray for those who abuse you. Don't retaliate. Pray for them. Put it in God's hands. And like I've said before, this doesn't mean praying evil down on them. Oh, Lord God, I'm praying for my neighbor. May your fire and brimstone come. And No, that's not what this is. This is praying for God's healing in their lives. For God's good for them. That their heart would come to God as those church members were praying for Dylan. Pray for those that abuse you. This is Jesus saying, Father, forgive them for they, don't, they do not know what they're doing. And so this is just an unnatural, uh, unnatural, unnatural desire for people. These are four radically different things from retaliation, from our natural man. These are all unnatural. We want to treat people as they treat us. We want to protect self. But hatred only breeds more hatred. And Jesus knew that. And when we take matters into our own hands, we are taking the role of God. When we pray, we are submitting to the role of God and what He is doing. This is hard. These, these four things. We could stop there and be challenged enough this week because th- this will change our hearts. How do we do good things for difficult people? And how do we change our heart to where we're not doing it grudgingly, but we're doing it willingly? And so Jesus goes on, and the next four things, in your notes, it's just the next four letters, but he had four commands, and now he gives four examples. And, and he's again, this idea of loving each other and loving those that, that are hard to love, he's giving us different aspects of it. And so when you look at this list of eight, it's all sort of like turning a diamond slowly and seeing different facets of the, facets of the same command. But now he's going to take some extreme circumstances And he's going to use a little bit of hyperbole to teach some important truths because he's going to answer them all in one phrase. And and every one of these, I'll just prep you now, every one of them you can say, well, I, I can think of an example when not to do that. And you're probably right. If someone is being hit and abused in their house, they need to leave and they need to get out of that situation if there's physical abuse there. If, if, and we could go on, there's only so many clothes you can give away, one of the authors said, when he talks about giving your coat and your tunic. At some point, not good. And, um, and so there's some hyperbole here, but Jesus is trying to challenge our first impulses, challenge our heart. And don't let the, the little bit of hyperbole he's using, don't let that stop us from understanding the seriousness of the commands and the shock value that he's trying to get to shake them out of their, their, 
self-centered views of life. To shake us out of our self-centered views of life. And so we go on in verse, verse 29. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer, offer the other also. Any volunteer? No, just kidding. Um, see if you practice this one. Letter E, stay engaged. Stay, stay relationally engaged with someone that hurts you. Don't retaliate. And, 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 and I'm sort of summarizing what the situation is. Don't retaliate. Stay engaged, willing to be vulnerable and hurt again. See, this strikes to our self-protection. We are a self-protective people. And if someone hurts us, I'm just not going to talk to them again. I'm just going to avoid that situation so I can't deepen my hurt. That's not Jesus' way. That's our way. And, and there's all kinds of debate here about what does it mean to, to strike on the cheek. Um, there are two major possibilities. One is that the word here for strike actually means to, to land a blow, to beat, to wound. And so uh, half the authors really felt like it was a little bit too weak to say the other possibility that it was just a backhanded insulting slap. Um, Matthew says it's on the right cheek, and so that would look like a backhanded slap. And it might be either of those. I think Jesus here is, is giving a, a situation where he's, he's giving a stronger situation. This is a blow, a strike. And he says, if someone hits you, offer the other two. And, and, and that this isn't self-flagellation or anything. This is saying, I'm going to stay engaged even when it's hard, even when it hurts. It's an attitude of non-retaliation. He doesn't say if someone strikes you on the cheek, hit them back and then offer yours. Post that up in my home. He says, it's not your place to retaliate. Romans 12, God says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Let me handle that part. We're to stay engaged and love them. And this is contrary to, to so much of our human condition and so much of how we, we view things. Not only don't retaliate, but take a posture that invites or allows further injury. It exposes ourselves to further injury. That's often where breakthroughs are made in relational difficulties, actually. When someone is willing to say, I know that hurt, and I still love you, and I'm still going to pursue this. We, we, we know this in our homes. And if you've been married any time more than 10 minutes, you've said something stupid to your spouse. Right? And, and, and so that becomes an opportunity. Do we take that as a call to war and escalate this? Or am I willing to look past that hurt because I love that person so much that we'll figure this out and we'll build a relationship and we'll see forgiveness and we'll see reconciliation? Stay engaged with someone that hurts you. This becomes a theological question. Do I believe God can heal my hurts, physical or emotional? Do I believe God can protect me and give me the strength to, to minister, to reach out to an enemy that treats me this way? The next phrase in verse 29 
And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Again, we read that, we're like, okay, have my jacket, fine. It it doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense. But if we had to put this sort of in in a, a, a principle that we would apply, give even when someone takes advantage of you. Give even when someone takes advantage of you or tramples your rights. Ooh, ooh, that's the sacred cow in America. I have my rights. I will stand for them no matter what. Well, not according to Jesus. Do we value people more than my rights? And he's going he's gonna to continue that theme. And so, so first, he's dealing with stay engaged even when someone hurts you, something we can't do on our own. Something that needs the Spirit. But then we get to give even when someone takes advantage of you without worrying about being taken advantage of. And and so again, there's a couple of options here. The outer tunic, some think that that's a robber that comes by and takes your coat and runs off because he's in need. Apparently he thinks he needs your coat more than you. So give him your shirt too. Uh, another possibility, and Matthew seems to allude to this, is in a, in a court of law, there were times that you would be sued for your cloak. That was a, a taken as collateral or taken as part of a judgment, but you were protected from ever having to give your tunic. And so if we go that way, Jesus is saying, go beyond your rights. Don't, don't worry about standing up for that. If someone's in need, go ahead. Give it to them. Don't let your rights stop you from loving someone. One author wrote, it seems clear that Jesus is not arguing a a disciple should willingly be stripped literally down to their skin and go about naked. The point has to do with the risk taken in being totally exposed, even to the point of being totally taken advantage of. Do we believe that God can protect us and meet our needs? Do we believe you know, when, when, I, when I look through this list, this is one that I see coming up over and over again. Because we get so incensed when something violates my personal, I, I would say wants rather than rights. We call it rights, but usually wants. I love a story. There's a university chaplain at, at Grand Canyon University. I don't know if I've, I've shared this one here. He had a brand new truck and, and he loved his truck. He's one of those truck guys. And he comes out the next morning and, and he has a speaker that's come in. It's a Christian University speaker comes in and um, they look and down one side of the truck is this huge scrape. The only place this truck had been had been in his driveway and his neighbor was working out in the yards. The neighbor denies he had anything to do with it. Of course. The speaker asks that, so are you going to take him to court? We have a clear case here. This is easily winnable. Get your truck right. And the speaker said, well, no. Actually, I'm not. And he said this, I can choose to be right or I can choose to be in relationship with my neighbor. And I choose my neighbor. Give without grasping at our rights. Give even if it means being taken advantage of. Being taken advantage of in these contexts, that doesn't mean you're weak, but it means you're strong, strong in the Lord. Verse 30 goes on, says, give to everyone who begs from you. And and this again, this is, we're like, what? That's so extreme. 
And, and Jesus is saying, give freely and habitually. The, the tense here means an ongoing thing again. Give freely and habitually to those who are asking or begging. You know, if the first one attacked our, our, um, our self-protection and the second one attacked our, our grasping of our rights, this one attacks our greed materialism. Give to everyone who begs of you. Have an open hand with your stuff and with your money. Even if someone might take advantage of that. That's hard. Because I can bet where half the minds here are going, same place mine would go. But, but what if their story isn't true? What if they, it's not actually going to help them? What if the need isn't there? What if I can't give everything away? And Jesus here, again, some of those things are true and we, we compare it with Proverbs and the fool and, and there's times to give and times not to give and there's times where it's loving to give and there's times where it's not loving to give. But Jesus is attacking our hearts and saying, what's your first impulse? If your first impulse is, no, I don't want to give, no, that person might not need it, that person, that's a problem. That's a sin problem. Because our first impulse should be, how can I love this person and help? Then comes thinking it through and say, what is actually loving? But the first impulse is to dive in, to jump in and do something and participate in their lives, even at personal expense. This, this may be an area for many of us in America that's a sin issue that we need to repent of. We're to be generous to a fault. This week, are you going to be generous to a fault? And it's hard. It's hard in Orange County when we see tent cities going up. It's hard when we see people in need on every corner. It's hard to stay compassionate and to not be cynical. And the question isn't what do you feel? The question isn't what do you logically think about it? The question is how has God treated you and what does He want you to do? That's the bottom line for how we deal with that issue. Well, then He goes on and meddles even more. Thanks, Jesus. And, and, and He says, and the person that takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And that's the letter H. Make people more important than stuff, even those that take your stuff. And this attacks our priorities. It attacks our sense of justice. Be willing to let go of your stuff for another. Have you ever had someone that you know borrowed something? And and I'm sorry if it's me. I think I have a couple things from a couple of you. But have you ever had someone that you know has borrowed something and you know they haven't given it back? What do you start to think of whenever you see them? Why aren't they giving it back? I bet they're doing it on purpose. Will it be today? No, it hasn't been for five years. It wouldn't be today. And we start, our, our minds start to go all these places with them. Is that loving? No, it, in fact, it prevents loving our enemies or our neighbors. We find ourselves chasing our stuff down. Hey, we could keep a notebook. We could keep a list of what everyone has and ask them every week we see them. That just wouldn't be Jesus' way. See, these attitudes require complete reliance on God. 
Is he able to handle the evil person? Is he able to handle your needs? Is he able to work in the hearts of someone that owes you something? When I look at these four, I think of Jonah. And you remember, do you remember Jonah? Um, he goes in and doesn't want to go to the town, but he finally goes to the town and they all repent and he's sitting up on the hill hoping for God's destruction. Not, that's not the example of loving your enemies. And, and God challenges him on it. He says, why are you here? And, and he says, see God, see, I knew you were a merciful God. I knew if I actually went, you'd save them and I don't get to see them fry. It takes guts to say that to God, by the way. And his heart was not a heart of loving your neighbor. His heart was a heart that wanted to see destruction. And so in verse 31, the golden rule, Jesus says, And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. And this is a, a common phrase of the time, not worded this way, though. It's usually worded in the negative. Don't do to others what you don't want to do them to do to you. But Jesus was the first record we have of someone that switched it to do unto others what you would have them do to you. Be proactive. Love your neighbor as yourself. We jump to the last four or five verses. And point number two on the back side of your notes, and it's just really straightforward. Our motivation to radical love comes from imitating how God, our merciful Father, has treated us. Our motivation to radical love comes from imitating how God, our merciful Father, has treated us. We've studied the description. The majority of the text is the description of what radical love looks like. But now how do we do it? How do we do it? Start at verse 32. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And he starts by saying radical love isn't motivated by who we like, by who will love us back, by who we have an affinity with. That, that's not what motivates radical love. That will always fall down and we'll only like those we like, those that love us. You don't need the Holy Spirit to love those that love you. God gets no glory in that. That's normal. He goes on in, in verse 33. If you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And we see radical love isn't motivated by what we'll get, what we'll get in return. Well, I'm going to do good for you because I know you'll do something for me. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Or actually, I'll scratch yours, you scratch mine. It's easy to, to love people and to do good to those that do good to you. It doesn't take the Spirit for that either. Then he goes on. Verse 34, and if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners and get back the same amount. And so we, we see Jesus saying radical helping and radical love isn't motivated by helping those that are safe. Well, I'll make that investment in you because I know I'll get it back. And, and that would have hit them because um, they, while there were Old Testament rules prohibiting interest given to, to your neighbor, there were all kinds of other ways they got around it with other favors that you were expected if you lent to them. Or you get to almost the Sabbath year, every seven years debts were forgiven, and suddenly people with money wouldn't lend anymore. Because what's going to happen at year seven, the debt's forgiven, I lose my money. My, my, my. It's not safe. Oh, we've got to get out of our comfort zones. 
and stop only loving and caring about people that are safe or spending time with people that we like or that are safe. We don't need the Spirit for that. But to get out of that, we do. And Jesus says, don't celebrate as virtuous what is normal, natural, and doesn't need the Spirit's help. It would be like if I came up here and saying, woohoo, I breathed today, we should celebrate. You're like, I, I did too. We all breathe today. What we celebrate here is when we go beyond the natural to what only the Holy Spirit can help us with. Only the Holy Spirit. And we get to 35. But love your enemies, do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. It's not about you. Just love unconditionally and your reward will be great. God's the one that settles the debts and you will be sons of the Most High for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. And here is the culminating thought. Jesus is saying this is what should motivate you. That your father, your dad, is kind to the ungrateful. He's kind to the evil. In fact, that phrase right before that, and you will be sons of the Most High, now sometimes that's misinterpreted. It does not say you will become sons of the Most High. What it's saying is you will act like sons of the Most High. You will be in the image of your Father. One of the sayings at my house, and this is where the sermon title comes from, one of the sayings that my kids use in the house at really inopportune times is I'm just like my daddy. And usually that's when they've done something that that maybe isn't great for the house or something. Um, and mommy will call them on it. They're like, well, I'm just like my daddy. Uh, like, oh, yeah, they are. Uh, kids are incredible mirrors. Um, but then sometimes the, you'll see them some do something and follow God and, and hear the same phrase, I'm just like my daddy. And, and my kids use that for, for ill or for good because there's truth there. The apple doesn't fall from the, far from the tree. And that's the argument here is, are we just like our daddy? Are we just like our heavenly father? Because he's kind to the ungrateful and the evil. In Romans 5.8 it says, while we were still sinners, while we were still at enmity with God, he died for us. That's how he showed that he loved us. That's the standard. And if we're like our Father, if we're like our Father, that's what we'll be like. One author wrote, moral likeness proves parentage. Moral likeness, think about that, proves parentage. We copy His character. That's why I love you. That's why you love me. That's how we can love flawed individuals. We are copying God's character. And He wraps it up with the final command. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Do you see how he's using this as the motivation? Actually, a command here. Be merciful. And mercy is compassion that leads to action. That's a short definition of mercy. Compassion that leads to action. Be merciful even as your heavenly Father is merciful. This is the extent of our radical love. It's the scope that God is merciful to us. We asked in worship this morning, what if God wasn't merciful to you? What if you got everything you deserved? But God was. And He is. See, love and mercy are inseparable. They're part part of the same action. 
And so we're to copy our Father. He is merciful. There are no excuses for a lack of mercy and lack of a merciful heart. We can't excuse it away by our past. We can't excuse it away by our personality. We can't excuse it away by our gifting. It is a command from God. And if we are followers of God, we will be like Daddy. And it's sin not to. That's the kick in the pants after all these incredible statements Jesus said. This is how we do it. This kind of love and mercy, when the person doesn't deserve it, can only come with God's help. But we're to pursue it, and as we do, God enables it. So this week, this week, who are you going to love? Who's the person that annoys you? Who's the enemy? How are you going to do good for them? Find ways because God does good for us. Lord God, you've asked us to do some really hard things today. To love our enemies, to do good to those that hurt us, to pray for those that abuse us. Lord, but we can do that because you've done that for us. Every one of us in this room has been in a place where we are opposed to you. And Lord, most here I know have accepted you and accepted your mercy and your forgiveness because you died on the cross for our sins in our place to take that penalty. Lord, if there's anyone here that hasn't done that today, that hasn't experienced your mercy, I pray that today's that day. They would come to you. That they would see your heart of love and forgiveness and mercy because you are drawing us to yourself. Lord, thank you for that mercy. May we be so amazed and impacted by it that we can't help but spill that over on every person we encounter. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.